Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuckadelics? What's happening? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF, my podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Off the top, right off the top, I want to thank the amazing people of Chicago for coming out to the Vic for two shows I did on Saturday night. I love Chicago. I wish I could have stayed there longer. It's very weird. Very weird to fly someplace for one night and work. It feels like a dream. I don't know if it really happened. I knew I do know that they were good shows. I know that I, I love the venue, but it's operating in sort of a hazy space. I'm in it right now, actually. Because to travel to Chicago for one night to do two shows, I get up at about 4.35 in the morning here in LA, fly to Chicago. I took some time to, uh, to go to Lou Malnati's and shove about three quarters of a small deep dish classic Lou pie into my face. And then I went for a sound check at six o'clock, did the shows at 7.30 and 10, then went back to the hotel, went to sleep, woke up about five in the morning, Chicago time, and flew back here. The both plane rides, I, I couldn't really sleep. I got jacked up on coffee, but I was um, in and out of sleep. So just the bookends of that and the fact that it happened within 24 hours, I'm not sure that I was really there. Today on the show, I have the uh, the amazing Dana Carvey, who uh, I had an ama- a great conversation with. I, I had no idea what to expect. I had obviously made assumptions uh, just based on meeting him for five minutes once and watching him on movies and SNL. As I always do, I'll make assumptions, and they were all wrong. We had a very nice, deep, thoughtful conversation, me and Mr. Carvey. He's back uh, at it. He's back in the world of entertainment in a big way. He's got a special on Netflix called Straight White Male 60. That's streaming now. I was excited to talk to him. I'm a little under the weather, so if you don't mind, I have to uh, save my delicate voice. I have to uh, save my instrument for tomorrow's shooting of Glow. Uh, We've only got a couple more weeks. Uh, We're heading into the final episode this week of shooting. And it's, uh, it's been very exciting to uh, just be an actor and to act like somebody else who's a lot like me. That's the way. Uh, he's not. But, uh, yeah, I, just, I didn't have the whole show hanging on my shoulders. And it was, uh, it was great. And it was great to work with other people. And it was amazing to work with all these talented women. It was amazing. And there's another week of it. But I can't show up. I can't show up uh, 
with no voice because that'll be a very costly sickness. It's fucking everybody's sick. Everyone gets sick at the same time in the whole goddamn country. It's amazing. And I'm just on an airplane and I'm like, I'm never, there's no way I'm not going to. And then it was, it was cold in Chicago and I was excited about it because uh, as I've said before, I have a lot of warm jackets that I'm just happy I get to wear. So as you know, I get a lot of emails. I get a lot of emails and uh, I, I'm, you know, I generally respond about 99% of the time to people with uh, recovery questions, with uh, uh, needing a little, little support to, uh, stop the boozing or the drugging or the whatever is destroying their life uh if i can help at all i i I try to if i do read their emails some of them get by me i like getting emails from uh from the young people of the world because i know that when i was a teenager uh if i i had heroes and i could not access them at all but now it just seems like we can all access everybody and anytime Anytime you need to talk to anybody, if, you, if you're if you persistent, you can get through to them and probably get a response within a couple of weeks. I, I'm willing to bet that is true. The subject line of this email, just some shit to say, I guess. Honestly, I don't really know why I'm emailing, but who cares? Dear Mark or whatever monkey he has hired to skim through his emails for him. My name is Britton. I'm a senior in high school and I found your podcast around the time I was in eighth grade, which was 2012, I guess. I just wanted to let you know after all these years of thinking it, how much of a weird influence you and your podcast have had on my life. Before you get anxious and fear that my life has been ruined, rest assured that it has been in only a perfectly positive way. Listening to your show every once in a while, when you have a comedian I like on, I feel like I'm adding on a new life into my brain, a new perspective of life. But the podcast and guests are only half of it after listening to your stand-up special and watching some interviews of you i have realized that the thing that draws me to you is your unique point of view you have on the world your crazy years in the 80s and 90s and your failure to get on snl seem to be sets of lenses you wear while viewing life at first glance that's that's a pretty good sentence Britt. back to the email you're an intriguing figure to talk to okay I live in Nashville and missed your show, but the more I dwell on it, the more I realize that it was probably for my own good. As much as I love the Mark you see on stage, I always find the genuine Mark who sneaks out sometimes during a particularly deep podcast to be the one I cherish the most. Oh, Britt, you saw that guy. He comes out, huh? Man, I can't keep that guy in. You, whether you like it or not, are a special dude and will probably be my emotional tour guide until the day one of your wives kills you. All right, thanks for the vote of confidence, kid. I'm sure you get at least two of these a week, so you're probably overwhelmed, so I'm sorry for not being as interesting as the email that was read before mine. I just wanted to let you know that everything you do is pretty good. Sincerely, you're honestly around the bottom 50% biggest fan, Britain. Britain, thank you. You're a funny kid. You should maybe look into doing something with that funny. All right? That's I'm, that's all I'm going to say. And, I, and I'm happy I've been a good influence on you. It makes me feel like I've achieved something in my fucking life. There's one thing that, that I can say is that the help that I give people trying to get off drugs and alcohol because of this show and the help that I give uh, kids who might feel out of place or out of uh, uncomfortable in their bodies and their minds and they're in the social environments and just the, the general... Um, good feelings or or uh, any sort of uh, support that I don't know I'm doing because I'm sort of self-involved uh, in giving to uh, sensitive people of all sorts 
who are uncomfortable for any number of reasons. That's what makes me grateful. It ain't the money. It ain't whatever mid-level fame I have. It's actually being able to go through my emails and always get choked up. I always get choked up. I enjoy crying right now. It's, it's what's happening. It takes, a, it takes colossal balls to cry. I don't know why I said that. I think I was responding to a tweet in my head of somebody who said, uh, quit crying, grow some balls. So there's a little context for that. <laughs> in case you needed it. It's my privilege and pleasure right now to uh, have you experience my first conversation ever, really, as you'll hear a lot of these conversations in general are first conversations. I've met people, I've chit-chatted with people, but this is the first time, not unlike a lot of the interviews, where I sat down with a guy we all know and, uh, and we all love, but I didn't really know, and now I know a little better. This is me and Dana Carvey in the Garage. His new Netflix special, Straight White Male 60, is now streaming. So uh, hang out. Hang out with me. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts dana my first thing about living alone here would be at night yeah being paranoid that someone is breaking in how sure. do you manage that do you have a safe room i, I mean <laughs> yeah, the whole house i, I have a security system uh, yeah the, the fence is okay uh i i have a plan in my head but does it has the security system ever gone off yes and doesn't that scare the living shit out yeah, of you? Yeah, it's a horrible I, So I fear. never put them on because yeah. they go off and then you live with, oh, it was just So you've a, always had that fear? I mean, you've always I, had the fear of like, uh, like even before you were successful, you had this fear that someone was going to come in and- Oh, yeah. 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 One of my earliest stand-up bits, we're yeah. talking in college, was you get into bed, you're in your place alone- and then you like you'd got oh, oh fuck I got to check the closet. Right. This was the joke. Sure. I go, so you get up and you go. I just need to know. Yeah. But what have you found a guy in there? How awkward is that? I, I just <laughs> wanted to know. And the guys, it was all about surprise for him. Right. I'll just be. I'll let myself out. <laughs> have you ever lost your keys and looked in the refrigerator? Sure. Eventually you go. Yes, I'm going for the crisper drawer. Okay. Yeah. So we all have these. Yeah. These are stand up bits from did somebody. You, did you ever find your keys in the refrigerator? I don't. I might have. I, as I get I older, yeah. As yeah. I get older, I find like I, <laughs> I things are showing up. Like you know, like I get halfway into something, and uh, you know, yeah, and, I, I know. And, and then it's like, what happened to that thing? I know. Where did you? But where do you come from? The the reason, like, I, it was nice to meet you, <laughs> and I, you know, I know you were on SNL, but I don't know a lot about you. 
I, I mean, think I'm... You're a mysterious un- man. And unintentionally then, mysterious. But then you disappeared for a while. I, I did, like yeah. 12 years, yeah. Well, where'd you, where'd you grow up? Um, Northern California, San Carlos. What's that by? That's near near Palo Alto. It would be in Silicon Valley now, right? But right. But it was a middle class white suburb. And you and you did you just like grew up like a normal kid. What did your old man do? Uh, he was a high school teacher. Really? Yeah, at San Mateo High for sixty years. For where sixty Merv, years, for fifty maybe. Yeah. Where, all right, let's call it fifty-five. 50, right. Where Merv Griffin went. Really? That was yes. the that was the yeah. claim to fame. Yeah, Merv Griffin. Merv Griffin went there. Your father did not know Merv Griffin. No, no. <laughs> but he knew <laughs> Arthur Treacher, oh. and that's only. Only for people over 50, folks. Arthur Treacher's Fish and Chips? <laughs> Arthur Treacher. Okay, that's a good one. What is he? He, what, what, he, he was, was a, the sidekick, the British guy. Right. Yeah. But didn't he have a Fish and Chips thing later? <laughs> I guess so, yeah. <laughs> Jimmy <laughs> Dean's Sausage. I'll go back to all those 60s icons. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, I had you know, bi- you know, five kids all stacked. There uh, were five of you? Five of us, all two years apart. Younger sister, three older brothers. You have three older brothers. Three older brothers, all stacked. Really uh, very tight with all of them. Speak to them. Was that a Catholic thing or just a... No, no. We were, you know, at fifth... We, we were Lutheran, but... Yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a bit about it. But we were... I know... I could tell my parents didn't yeah. really believe, but felt they should go. But the main thing, I'm, I don't know... Lutheran's uh, pretty diplomatic course it's not we're not trying to change anybody yeah so we did that and um you know the main thing was we were just a very rough and tumble dad and a really intense childhood yeah you know and what about your mom punishment uh sweet and tiny artistic would draw and paint yeah had a voice like this (laughs) literally hi uh very feminine very you know and my dad was this kind of a monster what did he teach in high school business Really? Yeah. Just business in high yeah. school? High school, shorthand. He taught shorthand, uh-huh. business shorthand. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, you know, so and that- you got w- along with him? No, no, he hated me. <laughs> <laughs> he did, and you know, you check Were you him- Were the with- only one that he No, hated? he hated Brad. Yeah. So Brad was the second one. Brad was um, the guy I based Garth on. And oh, yeah. He was the science kid of the yeah. family. Is he, he could- still? Yeah, he-, uh, he- kind of co-invented a thing called the video toaster in the early 90s he named it the video toaster and designed the first that was a big editing home editing with amiga oh so he he got a big payout early on he did well yeah yeah he's the only relative i don't give money to okay (laughs) (laughs) but but i i should it's such an upending thing that happened to me where you're very tight with your siblings, you survived a sociopath and a sadist. You really think he was? Oh yeah. Oh, well, yeah. why didn't he like you? You were about to say he hates you. See, um, I had two brothers. They, you know, one thing great about modern society, you know, micromanaging parents mm-hmm. is we know that when kids are dyslexic. Yeah. So we don't make them feel stupid. Right. Uh, Mark and Scott were dyslexic, so they were in the red book. Yeah. You know, there was the yellow, or maybe the yellow, and then you get the green. The blue book is the top. So basically, I could read, so I got pretty good grades. Yeah. And so somehow I got this nickname, Dane the Brain. Yeah. And that that was enough for Bud. So <laughs> And I check in with, even in the last few weeks, I check in with my sister. I go, so he had it out for me, right? I'm not imagining this. I mean, yeah. I'm 61 years of age. Right. So, Oh no no no! He hated you. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, he did. He really resented me and was competitive with me. Really, um, but he he gave beatings to everybody, or he ruled. You know, he was um, hair. You know, hair trigger temper. Right, it was very dark. No booze. He could rage uh, with coffee or booze. Yeah, like here's an example. Just one moment. Uh, my brother's back from Berkeley. Yeah. The oldest. 
sitting across from Bud, they're talking about stuff, and he naively said to my dad, well, that's just a cliche. They were yeah. sort of having a... Right. And he took a big goblet of red wine and wound up like this and threw it right at my brother's head. So it just missed him. Holy shit. Yeah. And then they got into some altercation. I'm, you know, I'm 60 pounds, you know, so I get away. But then he made us get in. So my brother left. We had to get in the car. Yeah. And we're driving down and he's going to flip your brother off, flip your brother off. For yeah. some reason, my sister, my other brother and I. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, anyway, my God. I, I just, I'm not asked this stuff. But I'm easy to tell about it. It's just yeah. that because I uh, did impressions and characters, I never integrated this into my standup. Like people I admire do that. Right. You know? Well, that's uh, interesting that you would still, like, you, you're telling me that a few weeks ago you asked your sister to confirm that he had it out for you? Mm-hmm. Like, it's still, it, it, it's something you never quite get over. Well, you, 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 want to th- you, you want to check in with your Sims and go, am I being sort of theatrical after the fact? Right. Um, oh, no. And when they, they can, no, no, no. Okay. Because I don't want to be a martyr right. or bitter unnecessarily. Right. So they're going, no, no, no. But, you know, this was 60s parenting, so I, I found my way away from him, you know. What well, do you think it was, like, creating characters or doing voices or doing mm-hmm. impressions, do you find that that evolved out of some sort of, like, uh, detachment from the emotions that were in the house? Well, I think certainly all of us were funny at the time. I mean, yeah. no one really thought I was going to be the comedian, but, yeah, we... But did you use it as some way to avoid emotions? Oh, oh, totally. I think yeah. for me, the most dime store psychiatric thing I could think is later on, uh, I not knowing how to just argue or have conflict, because right. th- that would mean a beating. Right. I became a classic sort of passive aggressive nice guy, right. avoiding conflict. <laughs> and I think that I got some pleasure out of one of the first characters I did, the church lady, because yeah. she would just say all this stuff right. in this left-handed yeah, way. Yeah. Well, I think I have a certain uh, shut down emotions in a right. way from my, and, and, and part of it professionally, when you're on Saturday Night Live and it's all going wrong, and you know, I just learned I learned to live in that place. Like, okay, I got to be tough right You now. were familiar with it. Yes. <laughs> and besides doing a whole distance running thing, which was very painful, which I think helped me survive also the high school years. Oh, you were running. a distance runner? Yeah, on a very intense program, Carmont High School. Oh, you really? You can look it up. Uh, Marine coach, real tough, national champion type level, 410 milers on the team. I ran 427, but... We would run 15 miles, 20 miles, repeat quarter miles. I mean, this was during the Frank Shorter, Steve Prefontaine sure. American Revolution. Of running. Of running. And yeah. I think that, you know, people who go into distance running are kind of a little messed up. They uh-huh. want the pain. Yeah. You know, because it gets them out, outside of the, the, that other pain. Do you get to that other place, though? The, the, the sort of euphoria of crossing a line? Well, man, I could use it now. Yeah. I mean, back then, <laughs> we, I don't even think we knew what we, how right. high we were getting. <laughs> Unbelievable. But now I could really use it. I get it. I go up Griffith Park. I yeah. go there three, four times a week and go right up past the observatory, right to the top. As hard as I can. You do. I do it to get all this anxiety out. Yeah. You know, uh, it just that elevates me. I, it's not discipline. I, right. I go like my pulse 190. I mean, I'm just like, I waste myself on the mountain. Really? Yeah. 
Well, it's interesting you say that about the uh, the the kind of like um, nice guy, passive aggressive guy. Because like, yeah, when I I've not like I think I'm trying to remember where I saw you briefly years ago. But like, you always struck me as a nice guy. But I always like, there's something else going on. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, no. I mean, I'm I'm not a nice. It's got guy. an edge to it. Absolutely, <laughs> hyper competitive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the I politeness try- is loaded. Totally, totally. Oh, yeah. My kids always say you should bring that on stage because they see me being sarcastic and whatever, you know, uh, or cynical. Um, you know, maybe it'll come out in this interview. But, you know, it's when I when someone knows me, yeah. I don't sit around and do George Bush Sr. It's, sure. It's all about sarcasm and, and um, just complaining. And Well, there's you know. guys that are good at that. I mean, I, the new stand-up special is mostly straight stand-up, right? Kind of. Are you going to continue this trajectory of, of, of being honest with who you are? You know, well, um, I might. You know, I don't know. I mean, what happens is you get caught up into sort of a brand. I hate that word now, but it's used everywhere every second. Right. And the, eventually, everyone in show business becomes a caricature of themselves. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah, well, you're hoping. <laughs> I guess. But it can be sort of, I mean, when I was doing Carson, I mean, Leno had told me that you know, when it kind of turned into this other sort of feeling, it wasn't just having fun with Johnny. But right. It was sort of um, that he would walk down the hall and say, I'll do the voice. They're making fun of me now. It's time to go. Yeah. Like, but but Johnny, <laughs> yeah. as Lauren Michaels would remind me, in 1972 was as cool as anybody around. Well, sure. Now. Yeah, you smoking. Know. Smoking, drinking, babes, yeah. whatever. Hanging out. Yeah. It was that last sort of wave of that old Hollywood. Yeah. You well, know. I mean, when you started, well, impressions are, are, are tricky because, like, we can talk about that more specifically in a minute, but, so you're in high school, you got two older brothers, two younger mm-hmm. sisters. Oh, no, a younger sister, three older brothers. And they're all still around? Yeah. yeah. And they're all doing okay? Yeah. Parents are still around? No, they went to Jesus. Yeah, they did. Yeah. You, you sure? Bud lied. Uh, Bud died six months ago. Your dad just died. He made it to 92. Yeah. Was he cognizant? Um, you know, my wife, who's, uh, be, long story short, sort of became the one who would visit him the most toward the end. and became Weirdly, his that, caregiver. That's interesting. I know. Just by weird circumstances. She felt bad for him? or Well, he was up in Northern California where we have a house. Yeah. And she was going back and forth to LA because I moved back down here two yeah. years ago. So she was there and my sister was sort of... She was daddy's little girl, so she had sort of feelings for Bud, and yeah. so. But she was in Connecticut, right? So Paula took over, uh-huh. and um, toward the end, he was real fuzzy. Uh, but she said, uh, "We both looked at Trump when he first emerged on the scene, and we said, she goes, oh my God, it's Bud.' Yeah. So I know Trump." Right, I know narcissistic how, bullies. My my yeah. father would be, oh, I oh I was an educator. Oh, Jesus Christ. I yeah. mean, he would, the bragging yeah. and, and yeah. grandiosity. Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, he went and I didn't feel anything, uh, to be honest. I, well, except I, relief. Yeah, um, I, I wonder that. I it? didn't want him to suffer. Right. I, you know, I'm not. Sure. You know. But it's weird when the, the bond is broken, when you don't have that emotional trust of a parent, they don't, you don't feel that connection that you're supposed to. I know, and when you when you I don't I I've heard a little bit about you and your dad, but when I hear someone else talk about when their dad passes and how devastated they are, yeah. I I don't I, yeah. I I'm sort of like wow, what must that be like? Well, he didn't allow there to be that connection. 
Like, you know, it was a fight all the way through. No, it was. Yeah, he wasn't all. He was given up at birth. He was an orphan. He was uh, knocking around Montana. In the chip 19th, on his shoulder. Yeah, beaten up by his dad. I mean, he was a wounded, you know, like anyone. So you're so, able to have some empathy posthumously. I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not for. I'm not trying to force you. No, no. That. These are big questions. Like, well, why did I not emulate that? And why does someone emulate when they're? Oh, why do you become that? Why do victims sometimes emulate their? You know, their yeah. per- person who abused. Them? Did any of your siblings? No, I can see dribs and drabs in my sure. My you brothers. know, you've got the reflexes. I mean, if you, you, it's weird when you grow up with a bully, you have it in there. And you, you, you got to choose to fight it. But, you know, you do have it. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you wonder. But that's another thing I check with my... I, I go, can I? Can you guys see any butt in me at all? And they go, no. I go, just be feel free to tell me, you know. But I see different personality traits of uh, them yeah. and butt. But that was, you know, um, when I had children and I think of them in that environment. Yeah. Um, it, w- it would be very... Heartbreaking, tough. right? Yeah, I, I think that... You know, for me, what's helped me in life is every time you give something up, you get something and vice versa. So yeah. what I did get was since the childhood was so like that, yeah. just moving out my Volkswagen bug and living near the San Francisco airport on a frontage road, yeah. eating tuna pies from Safeway for a quarter, you know, the yeah. whole thing. I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. The best. You're just free. lifted. Well, I used to do a joke about my dad. I said, you know, if you're a man, at some point you're going to have that conversation with your dad where you sit down and you look him right in the eye and you go, is there any way I can avoid becoming you? Because it's happening <laughs> and I want out. Uh, do you have any advice at all? That's funny. And usually their reaction is like they just go, <laughs> Well, you know. were you healthy enough to ever really sit down with your dad and, 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 oh, yeah. and, and have it out with him yeah. in, a, in a constructive way? I don't know if it's constructive because they don't change. So it's but only did he acknowledge? Yes. I mean, he can acknowledge it, but guys like that, they have this weird blind side is that if they're truly narcissistic, they'll, they'll step up and and honor whatever you're saying if you get them at the right moment go like yeah 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 but don't change nothing and and you don't even know where it's coming from it it might just then be adapting to that moment and then it just goes away it's not like there's going to be you know a a now a a life of contrition or or some sort of like change in there my dad's a, a kind of a broken dude i'm able to understand that and feel bad for him mm-hmm. but uh but i do i get closure yeah I, I guess you know i i'm fortunate in that you know his life didn't quite work out the way he wanted it to and he's become mm-hmm. very fragile and there there's something uh that isn't schadenfreude but that is almost sort of like eh, he's just a sick guy and well, i did okay despite him yeah when did that how old were you when you sort of were, you're on the scene? Like, you're Mark's going to be a famous comedian and he's going to make a lot of money. Oh, you mean when, how old were you and how I, old was he when I started doing it or when I started to become a success? Kind of, it was clear you were going to be successful. Recently. So this is all recently, like I mean, so, six eight years ago. Yeah, since yeah. this and then yeah, the show, right? And how old was your dad at that point? Well, he's seventy eight. I so think. So, what now. was that like when that happened? Well, there was like there's a resistance to it. Yeah, they they do not want to like they. I think they see you as an extension of them somehow, even if they've beaten you down. Right. That they have control over. Yeah. So once you start to go against that script, where you're clearly having your own life, mm-hmm. and then you become this weird threat. You know, you're always a threat, but then it becomes a threat that's not in the house. Right. Like I wrote a book and I talked about him, and it just leveled him. Like it, oh okay. Like it just sort of like you know he knew 
that you, you know I was off reservation and there was you no get me back on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that that sort of helped, but it it's not. Huh. Then you're at then you're dealing with this guy who's afraid of you. Yeah, and and I used to do this other joke about how I think all father son relationships on a certain level are just battles to the death. I suppose I got in the middle. It's a long, long story, but I had what? two childhoods. I had the childhood with them. Then I had ten years away, but would come home for Christmas from my what, parents. What do you mean when? Well, well, I mean, I when I when I got on SNL and got money, uh, my father changed toward me, and then he sort of got my mother in with him, and they became a dog and pony show for decades to suck every last penny they could out of me. Really? Yeah. And that's when I really understood because that my child was real, seeing how they behaved. And um, that was pretty dark. Well, that's yeah. really dark. And I got in the, their marriage a little bit, but I learned after that. My mom- at What one, do you mean? Well, my mom said she didn't want him to buy a camper. So I'm just coming off Wayne's World and I go, she does, Bud's buying the camper. So for some sick reason, it, I was going to call Bud and tell him he couldn't buy the camper. It's ridiculous. Yeah. With your money. Yeah, but they he had some money, but but basically it was just the idea of I was the surrogate husband. I was sent to oh, yeah. do this. Right. And that was just all wrong. Clandestinely. You know, you had yeah. to look like you, you know, your mom just gave put out the 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 complaint. Yeah. Didn't expect it necessarily, no. but knew you would. But the thing was when she's 62, I yeah. sit with her and go, if you want to get out, I'll, I'll get you out. Someone will come get your stuff. We'll get you a house. You'll be you'll be fine. No shit. I had no idea that not only did she not want out, she kind of she kind of dug the way he was right. You know, so yeah, that's it. That's that's yeah. that's it. Yeah. That you know you make all these assumptions. My mother's the same way. They're not together anymore. Okay. But you're like you know she's got a new dude now, and I'm like, are you all right? She's like, yeah, I know. They'll complain, but then when you really, we did an episode of my TV show about this. When you really push it, they're okay. like, they're like, why are you getting it? Like when, <laughs> yeah. as soon as the, as soon as the guy finds out, they're like, why are you getting involved in it? You know what I mean? Right. They, it's it's controllable to them. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like what? Like especially if they're like loudmouth, you know, uh, guys that spin around all the time. Mm -hmm. There's very little emotional effort. All you got to do is go like, okay, sit down. You know, it's like right. they're they're almost insulated from it in a way. Well, what happened was is that he, I, I still had my heart on my sleeve for my mom because she was at least a sweet person. So he would manipulate. Oh, your your mother seemed very tired. If I could just get some money, and then she became a. Uh, she had juvenile diabetes at sixty one. He became kind of her nurse in yeah. terms of keeping track of her blood sugar. Oh. So she got this. They're terrified of losing him. Well, yeah, and yeah. also he knew that she was the key to the money. And really, it was that conscious. You think? Oh, well, I would have to get my siblings online because every time I think this is way too theatrical, I'm being way over the top. We'd have to get them on the we'd have to have conference them on, call. On the, yeah. And they go, no, that's pretty much right. Seriously. <laughs> oh, man. Seriously. It was so bald faced, but I played into it. You know, I, I only went into started getting therapy in August. Just this last August? Yeah, I was having dinner with Conan. He goes, I think you deserve to be happy. So I've been in oh. it now. But now it's kind of, it's sort of sad in a way to, to realize all these things six decades in, you know. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah. But I, there's a, there'll be a lot of choices going forward. I'll try to be healthier about it. Yeah, it's just mentally and emotionally. Yeah, you know, just not writing checks to my parents and never really being. Well, they're dead. That'd be weird. 
then you get real problems. That was day one with the therapist. I still people go visit grave sites. I just tuck a little twenty <laughs> right under the right under the thing. Oh, well, I want to, but yeah, I I was um uh, a rescuer yeah, uh, yeah, in yeah. a way. Like when I part of my psyche when I comes in, in here. Um, and I realize it's probably is it, sort of like I wonder is Mark okay and you know <laughs> I'm I, okay. It's the way I think. It's just the way I think. Oh, he lives up here, and I uh, hope he's got a new show. I, I don't know. It's the way I think, and I'm not saying I'm as selfish as anybody else or narcissistic. No, no, I know. I know. I get I that with know. some people. I get it with some people. You know where you, where I, I get concerned about them. And, yeah, and, kind of. Yeah, even yeah. if you don't really know them, like you're yeah. just sort of like I hope he's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had Al Bell on this show because of that. Oh really? Yeah. Well, yeah. He's, just, not, he's not that okay. You know what? He and <laughs> I was about. doing a gig, and someone came, and Al Bell came maybe two years ago, and uh-huh. I hadn't seen him in forty years. Yeah. Yeah, and he, but talk about it, it's just all on his sleeve, and you know, oh, did he talk about his mother and oh, the, all the stuff? Dude. Yeah. Oh, I've heard all the stories. Yeah. I didn't know he, he would go public with all. He that. does it in a one man show now. I think. Well, now he really owns it. Right, but I don't know who's wow. going to that or what kind of entertainment it really is. But wow. but no, he really owns it, and it's heavy. Such a sweet, wounded guy. He is. Yeah. And, and he was funny, dude. I yeah. mean, he was, like you said, he used to kill. Oh, he killed. He used to kill. Yeah. I mean, I did one of my first weeks with him, and you just sort of like, oh, my God. And he'd do that song forever, just killing. Yeah, and you go, and then and back then it was like, ah, I should sing a song. Every time I saw a comic, at one point, because sort of novelty comedians were exploding, like yeah. Howie Mandel would have the thing on his yeah. head. I I I thought I I need a nickname and maybe I'll I'll wear some kind of different shirt. Or, well, when did I, I you start doing this. it? How old are you? On uh, my first set, I was twenty. Where'd you do it? Um, Telegraph Avenue, Berkeley. Um, you know, not a club, open mic. I went to watch because mm-hmm. it was fascinating to me. I I'd never done I'd never done theater. And arts. this is when you were living by the airport. Yep. You, so you moved out of your folks' house. You didn't go to college, or you did. I did. I went to, well, we all went to community college. Yeah. Uh, the, all the gang, nobody, yeah. you know, and then went to San Francisco State. But it I, wasn't a comedy club. It was in Berkeley. Yeah, Avenue. and it was just these comedians going up that weren't famous. Do you I remember was, them? I, oh, yeah. Mark Miller uh, came up, Mitch Krug, and then Robin came up. So I literally had a napkin that I'd taken out of my pocket because they said there'll be open mic at 11 o'clock. And yeah. I started writing down... Because for my friends, I did a Howard Cosell. I did, oh, you did impressions, yeah. I, for friends, a junior when they were stoned. You yeah. Know? And then Robin came up not knowing that this was unique, because this was peak energy, and I'd never seen anyone, like a Shakespearean actor doing stand-up all over the... And so I literally put the napkin back in my pocket, because <laughs> I'm thinking, well, maybe maybe there's thousands of them out there. I have no Robins. idea. Robins? Yeah. And I actually interviewed him... But he was not famous yet, right? This is when he no, was- No, not like, famous. But pretty quickly, he was he was down doing, you know, uh, Mork and Mindy or whatever. Or he did the prior variety show. And, right, but, so he was just visiting up there for when you saw no, him? No, no, he was still there. He was still there. So it was before he came yeah. down here. It was before yeah. he came to the comedy store. Before he came down. So it was like the, what, the late 70s? Uh, 76. Yeah. And then in 77, there were no clubs then. The clubs started being built in 78, 79 on every corner. You right. Guys with hammers. But he he got the Laugh-In show, the Laugh-In revival show. Uh-huh. And they came up and saw us in San Francisco, me me and these other comics, Bobby Slate and whatever. I, I look at it this way. It's like, you know, now with YouTube and everything, I mean, I we you, 
comedians can see other great comics. Yeah. So like, I don't know, a lot of them are, at least three years ago, they said everyone, the young guys are all trying to be Louie or whatever. Right. And so it was an assortment pack right. back then. Slayton was doing that thing. The, the, I was the, doing uh, the yeah. uh, the aggressive, uh, yeah. ch- uh, cute racist. Yeah, the yeah. cute, the adorable racist. <laughs> yeah. I was doing uh, just. I had props. I yeah. couldn't write anything. I couldn't think of anything. Yeah. I got a little guitar. Right. I had no. I had Jimmy Stewart as a waiter. Save yeah. me every night. Yeah. You, you know. You, well, fuck you, <laughs> Jimmy Stewart saying fuck you in the seventies was. Uh, it was over. I mean, yeah, it was like Dennis Miller said to me once, Christ sakes, Carvey, I can write jokes for decades and not top the steward man losing his top, you know, the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So people hated me. I didn't even know comedians hated me. Because um, they thought you were just a cheater? A, a trickster. Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. when I was, I got a show in New York, the Mickey Rooney show, um, and I was playing the improv. And I'm, I would put music on and do how people danced in high school, and I would do these goofy impressions, and I had kind of long blonde hair, and I was sort of tan, and and this guy, probably 50, goes, they, they don't like you. He, you're outside of the bar, whatever. He points over like five comics. They yeah. can't stand you. Yeah. But kid, you get laughs. laughs. I thought, fuck, I had no idea they hated me. Who was that old guy? I don't know. Uncle Dirty? <laughs> Who was it? I don't know. He was probably 38. Yeah. But in my imagination, it was just- So ancient. you go, you do the thing, you go look at, you see Robin on Telegraph Avenue, and then you start yeah. hanging around the, the yeah. zoo. Terrified. I had an incredible stage fright. I would be- Who nervous. else was there? Larry Bubbles Brown? Bubbles Brit- came Brit- a little later, Pritchard, Pritchard, a little later. Sue Murphy. Barry Sobel. Sobel uh, was Sue around. Sue Murphy. Uh, then eventually in that whole era, God, Rick Reynolds, Sue Murphy, Mark Pitta, uh, uh, Larry. Whitney. Uh, Whitney. I knew you wouldn't like it. I just didn't know you wouldn't like it that much. Remember that line? <laughs> no. Where he would juggle and he wouldn't get applause? Well, because he was a street performer, wasn't he? Yeah. I got to get him in here. He's in like Texas, hold up Oh, somewhere. he's a raconteur. Yeah. A charming raconteur. He yeah. would have amazing long, long stories. Yeah. He was there the first um, the first year I was on SNL. Yeah. Like Nora was around and Whitney, and they both got an SNL the year before I got on. Yeah. So suddenly San Francisco was really represented. Nora's from there? Yeah. Yeah, Nora was... The, the thing that really helped a lot of us was the other cafe. Was was that gone by the time you came? Yes. Yeah. yeah just gone. Because that was uh, no hard liquor, maybe 80 seats, kind of a place where you could... That was the first time I ever said, maybe I'll be someone else for 45 seconds. Right. You couldn't do it at Rooster Tea Feathers or what they call the country store. Rooster's was around. I played there. The blender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know, then you would do dick jokes as many as you can. Roosters like it, like once they got the sound system, like it should have been a great room, and it can be because it's small. It's pretty good now. Yeah, yeah, they got a new yeah. sound system. I think. Yeah, I'm very weird about sound systems. Um, I'm weird about everything. Yeah. I mean, I go into a room now that I've been doing some clubs with my kids. I'm like, oh, okay, well, this will be rough. Yeah. Or. Wow, the monitor's too loud. Yeah, I got it. Because it's really, if all things work, it, yeah, it makes our job so much easier. Yeah, if one, like if the sound system, it's like being neutered. It's like It sounds like it's going through mud, like a filter. And when it's good, if the monitors are right and yeah. you're kind of moving around the stage yeah. and you just know and you've got this whole mix you can do, yeah, like yeah. you can come here, go yeah, there. Yeah. Sometimes you get out there and um, you got it right on your chin yeah. and it's just not... Popping, not popping, yeah, and you're yeah. just working. The or, or when you get out there, you always ask the opener, "Was is there a slapback?" Yeah. yeah, a little bit of slapback. Oh, you mean when the big room? Echo. In a big room. Yeah, yeah slight yeah. echo. Yeah, you know. I try to ha- hammer that out on the sound check. Like I, I'll go with less monitor than more monitor. 
Uh, right, it, because that's the problem. Yeah, you have to, to find balanced. a sweet spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't go to sound checks because yeah. I, I, it's too much energy at this age. <laughs> I'm always napping. I nap, I nap every day of my well, life. Well, you think you wouldn't need to. It's like it's a mic. It's one mic, but because you should. Because of my personality, when I first got famous of wanting to be the nice guy, people yeah. pleaser, I'd get back to my apartment in New York. I was out on my feet Yeah, because everyone I met wanted to have... It's Talk. like being at your yeah, own wedding. Sure. Do you remember how exhausting yeah. your wedding was? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you had a traditional. I had one traditional and one back here in the yeah. yard. <laughs> Torture. Oh, you did. Okay. Torture a <laughs> yeah. small talk. So, all right. So you. So the other cafe was more. It was less um, restrictive in that it wasn't, it wasn't just a about biker bar. Wasn't or hard liquor. Drinks, right. Yeah. And that's where yeah. a lot of people broke open because, like, when were so who were the guys on the scene exactly when you were there, like doing the other cafe coming into their own? Well, Paula, well, Bobcat came in right. from Boston. And I remember I was at his garage sale at Stitches in Boston because I was in college, and he yeah. just, he was huge there, and he was leaving for San Francisco. He exploded. I can't remember if he was maybe eighty two or something, uh-huh. but he, when he came in, he exploded. Paula Poundstone came in and. Um, was you know we lived with my wife and I we had a place on Cabrillo Street my wife and I rented a house yeah and it became the comedy house and, and she was from Boston yeah and so we I was we were so um, charmed by her and thought she was so brilliant I mean of the three biggies that opened for me well Rosie O'Donnell I have a different story but it was Rosie it was Ellen and it was Paula and there's Carol Leifer and others but they pa- were in San Francisco. Uh, Ellen used to open for me. Paula used to open for me. And Dana, did he come? Dana Gould? He was a little bit later. A okay. little bit later. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But Poundstone was brilliant. And, um, you know, Robin would come up and uh, we'd play ping, ping pong. And Jeremy Kramer was oh, yeah. around. He's around, I think. And he was just so eccentric and yeah. really funny. Uh, obviously, the, I have to say, the first time on in media, late grade Kevin Meany yes. was, was there. Yes. Yeah. He, he moved from Boston, too. A lot of the Boston wave came in there. Yeah. And the scene just exploded. I mean, you could, I didn't have to really travel much. So that was the there were so early many 80s? Yeah. I mean, you had Roosters was great. The Punchline came in. In the late 70s. The Punchline Cobbs moved around in different locations. So yep. in the city you had three, there was an improv right. for a while. Right. I remember the, that down in the, yeah. Uh, on Mason. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And then Roosters, then you had John Fox booking you up at, <laughs> yeah, at the in uh, Seattle at the Underground. I'm glad to have you do comedy today, and I'll pay you tomorrow. You yeah, know? yeah, you'd wait two months for your check. Yeah. But he would he booked that place, and I would play there three times. Seattle Underground. Yeah, it was good. It was. It could be hot, except Friday Night Late Show. I had a couple times where people decided to come on stage. Yeah. Oh, really? Spontaneously. You know. <laughs> Do you hold your ground when they come on? I don't. Yeah. I'm not a fighter. Yeah. I go. You got it. Yeah. Some guys like want to fight for the stage. What? I'm like, what the fuck? Well, I've had people I've diplomatically said, "What do you need? Do you need to tell a joke?" Well, that's good. And then like some, I, it hasn't happened that often. But you know, some one time at the punchline, it was funny. I'm on stage, mm-hmm. and some dude just jumps on stage. Yeah, and I'm like, "What the fuck?" Like, I get really. My first response is MySpace. Right, what, what's happening? Yeah, that- and the dude was just cut. He wanted to get to the bathroom, and you know how that stage is. It's yeah, up, yeah, and the bathroom's in the back corner. Right. So he just decided he was going to make a run for it. Funny. Get on stage. <laughs> Cross over to go to the fucking bathroom. <laughs> well, there's nice drunks. You can tell, usually you can tell, a nice drunk just wandering up and, hey, you yeah, got yeah. it. Yeah. You know, you know. Well, why would someone be hostile at you? What are you doing that's making them <laughs> upset? I don't know. It I was always much. there. I was there to slay the audience, to win, to please. 
Um, I, you know, only later on did I realize that, you know, I was doing stuff that I wasn't really proud of. Yeah. Um, but you know, you just wanted to survive. But you had a guitar, you had what, so when, mm-hmm. how, how, what was the first hour? Good what question. Hour? Well, between 1980 and 1986, I had this long, bizarre route where I was doing stand-up yeah. in San Francisco and making a living, but I was in LA. I got with Buddy Mora, Rollins and Joffe. Yeah. And they were managing you. They were managing me. Yeah, they they famously told me not to do the church lady because I was coming off gay. Yeah. So the <laughs> yeah, uh, but I was only doing two minutes. I said to I do on stage. Yeah, I'm mean. doing an hour. I do two minutes of this. Yeah. You know, yeah. patronized care. But I think um, eventually, and between eighty three and eighty six, what eventually came in was a bunch of impressions. Casey Kasem, Jimmy Stewart. And I had the church lady became a longer bit. At first, yeah. it was just an attitude. It was almost right. like what Gaffigan does. Yeah, it was an alter. It was like his, what, his other voice. What people yeah. are thinking about right. me? Right. That's right. why I, I was using. Oh, isn't that well. special? Right. It was you like just well, well, well. They let little children on stage because yeah. I look so young at the time. Yeah, Meany did that too. He had his own version. Yeah. of the, uh, the ongoing monologue. A great technique, yeah. and also church lady was fantastic for yeah. hecklers. Yeah. You know. Oh right. We like to have a little drink in, Mister yeah. Mouth. You know, it just never fails. Has never not <laughs> never never won't get a laugh. And I think it's just being it's just patronizing. Yeah, it has yeah. nothing to do with it. Right. I had that and disarming. Disarming. Yeah. I got the chopped broccoli thing. I don't know if I'm proud of it, but it's people still. It never got out of people's heads. Chopping broccoli. Chopping broccoli. Yeah, it's still insanely like become a thing that I have to do every time. <laughs> I did it once on SNL, once at Comic Relief. Yeah, I hatched that. Happened to be at the Improv at that little piano one night. In midnight uh, show. which Improv? Hollywood. Oh, okay. Uh, and then I expanded it up north. So I had Sean Broccoli, I had Church Lady, I had Robin, a Robin Leach impression. Yeah. Basically, all of this emerged, and I kind of, the clubs exploded, so I finally got pretty adept at doing stand-up because I was doing it so much. Right. Because I had so much stage fright, and I was kind of a loner. I yeah. never went to open mics. Yeah. So that forced me to actually learn how to just survive. Right. But, Chomp Broccoli, basically everything I did the first two, three years on SNL, you know, yeah. I had a Bud Freeman impression. That, that you had honed by yeah. because of the comedy boom. Yes. Right. Because the boom, just they wanted bodies. I mean, I was recruited to headline at Laughs Unlimited. And that you was, weren't necessarily, you weren't going to be like, I don't know what this guy's going to do. They're like, this guy does everything. Yeah, but I right. well, looking back on it, I was terrible. I mean, it was <laughs> come on. Well, no, but I, I could charm the audience and do my voices. But I mean, I all my bits, I would do a premise and then a joke. Right. I didn't really understand it later how you stay inside a topic for a long time. Right. People would tell me talk about yourself. I had no idea what they were talking about. Right, but but it seems to me that because of your your need to connect and your your natural sense up there, that you know you took impressions. Like there's a trick to impressions. Like there, you can you can impersonate somebody perfectly, but an impression mm-hmm. has to be elevated somehow. It has to be tweaked. There has to be something. You find some button yeah. that yeah, and that's that's the real gift of it. Yeah. So I think that the way you found it was you know instead of just doing like Rich Little would have a shtick where he would do Carson, right. that you could riff within them. Yeah. And 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 learn the you know the, what you could sort of push the character outside of you. That's one thing I discovered at SNL I could do is write. In the character right so i would just start doing johnny carson for 20 minutes and then smigel would be putting stuff together and then adding brilliant stuff himself yeah but uh i i i think looking back on it i was a sketch player 
who found himself as a stand-up. Uh-huh. And so I feel like I became kind of a hybrid so that as a stand-up to survive, you must kill. Yeah. Because there's these brilliant people around you that want your job. Yeah. You, you must kill. But my instincts, really, I was a sketch player, so my stand-up reflected that. But you didn't do sketch then, did you? Well, I kind of did one-man sketch. I mean, I would I do- I don't why, why I think you're diminishing your, uh, your stature as a stand-up. Well, thank you, Mark. <laughs> I don't think stand-up has to be uh, any particular way. No. But I, I understand, I just probably have a little bit of a complex of- uh, yeah, because like uh, guys like me back then who were doing like uh, what we considered to be honest, real shit or whatever, just doing the jokes, would look at guys like you going, like, yeah, he's, he's a fucking boat act. You know, he's just a, uh, you uh, know, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, look at him like a yeah, exactly. P.T. Barnum in it. Yeah. It's like anything goes. Exactly. No shame, this guy. Exactly. So there's a perfect example. Now he's wearing a hat. He's, I, I had oh, I, at one point I had a little sunglass. I'm playing a character. I get it. It's all so cute. I had a trunk of props. Did I you? would I would hold up Gumby and just go stretch no, you the did legs. Not. Yes, <laughs> I would do anything. I did a I did an eight minute bit, which I still yeah. did in the special. Was because in '83 comedians fell in love with the movie Scarface. Right. So a lot of comedians would go, "Hey, I'm Scarface, and I'm gonna yeah. snort a cow." Yeah. And I for some reason did him at Thanksgiving dinner, and it became. At least a five-minute bit. Uh-huh. Yeah. There you go. That, see, that's the other thing about doing characters. You can fill some time. Absolutely. <laughs> Paso sui potaros. Paso sui potaros. And it always kills. And I do it in the new special, except I extended it. Yeah, sure. You had to fill that time out. I still... Here's the way I look at it. Yeah. Because I want to hear how you look at it. But in high school, when you're making your friends laugh, you don't do clever bits. Usually, it's redundantly making fun of the water polo coach winding down one concept especially if they're stone and you're not yeah. and then in stand-up it gets so organized yeah. and written but ultimately the things you know i grew up with kaufman yeah thank you very much that rhythm of that yeah. character uh monty python yeah spam and spam and all these and steve martin that's what you gravitated towards musicality yeah. and rhythms that right. would be repeated i right. think it's and now I look back, it's kind of old fashioned, you know. Right. Like here comes the church thing. Guess what? This is their catchphrase, and here it comes. Yeah. Well, isn't that? You know, it's yeah. like it seems so corny, but it's it does help people communicate with each other. No, absolutely. Peer groups have their own catchphrases. Yeah, I, absolutely. And I and I don't think like I don't think it was dubious or devious what you were doing. This was how you performed, and and yeah. there was a lot of vulnerability to it. And there was you know no one ever when you did something. Like there are impressionists. Like I don't know who the fuck Ritual Little is. I don't, you know, I don't know Daryl Hammond that well. I right. know enough. Yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't. I didn't know Phil, but he seems a little more like you. But like, you know, I I, I always see Dana Carvey. You know, I don't say like, well, that guy's afraid to be himself. I'm better at it now. Yeah. I would say that I, you know, like if you were unknown and I did a perfect impression of you yeah. you would be my new character right but then if you got famous you'd be my new impression so garth was just my brother brad but that was a character yeah and hans and franz was just it, i got bored with the character at first we talked like arnold here we are hans and franz but by the end i was just doing this and the reason was is because they would put this enamel between my teeth yeah. to do the gap yeah and i didn't want it to smear yeah so i would be right before i'd be checking myself and i'd see that i had this little grin and that's the reason he started talking like this but right someone who's that pleased with himself that's just funny right the rhythm of sure. that we like oh look i'm buttocks off lovey so 
that just still it evolved out of adapting to makeup. Yes, because <laughs> of the enamel on the teeth, the black enamel. You look in the mirror and you go, "That's who I am." Yeah. Oh, it's incredibly powerful. Is yeah. it? Is it relieving? Um. Well, I you know I was listening to um, Michael Shannon the interview. Did oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was interesting about Anthony Hopkins because yeah. leaping forward, I end up in a movie with Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. So. Anthony Hopkins hated his father too. So yeah. we, we bonded so greatly that yeah. on the last day of shooting, he very shyly said, um, would you like to come in my trailer and have lunch? Someone had booked entertainment tonight or something during my lunch hour. And I said, I gotta go. I gotta have lunch uh. with Anthony Hopkins. So being, who I, the woman started crying. We can't wait. <laughs> so I told Anthony, I can't. And then after the thing wrapped, that was the last day of shooting, the assistant goes, you know, he's, he's never invited anyone into his trailer. Ugh. Ah, it's one of those things. But he, he and I bonded over the father thing and impressions. Like yeah. he would do James Cagney or he would do Hannibal Lecter and I would do Garth. And yeah. He would do uh, Clark Cable and I'd do Jimmy Stewart. And, and what he said to me was he would read the script 200 times but not think of the anything. He had a Polaroid picture in the, back in the day of him in character. Yeah. And he could be talking like this, they'd yeah. yell, speed, whatever, and he would just look at it, bend over and go, <laughs> like he's sucking it in, and then he says it was all self-hypnosis between huh. action and cut. Uh, to get into character. Yeah, he never thought about anything. He read the script 200 times, and then he just would look, be the character. Huh. Said he did Howard's End. He looked in the mirror, saw the mustache, and said, "Oh, I'm that guy." Right. So, and uh, then it, well, you lock into it. I think that's the trickiest thing. Even when I act, or when I, I mean, I can do some impressions for maybe if I'm like just impulsively in it, mm -hmm. but to repeat them and say like this is part of my act, I can't do it. I can only do it if I'm feeling something. Because like the, what yeah. it takes for me to get into it is uh, somehow intimidating to me. Because I feel like, well, I can't. I don't want to disappear for too long. <laughs> you <know? laughs> You're afraid you might not come back. Well, I just it's just weird that like because like I, it, the the enemy of doing that is is any sort of self consciousness. Well, I was listening to the other show, and you were talking about how you played in Nashville or Tennessee, and yeah. you. You, I really related to it as a stand-up that you that vo voice was quiet the entire oh, yeah. set, yeah, which is really unusual. It is and very hard to do, but it's such a wonderful place to be when you can, there's can, no second voice, right? And you're just in the moment. And right. That's all I'm trying to get to all the time. <laughs> yeah, and that's why the special when I look at it. It, I can't look at it objectively. I just see someone who's in his head trying way too hard. Come on. No, I do. I, I, can I you can, look at anything you've done with the? I probably have walked off maybe 10 times where I, like when I did um, El Cantori or the Pepper Boy sketch with Sandler, I go, okay, that, that's a 10. But right. mostly, but I'm not, not um, self-indulgent about it. I understand people would enjoy what I do. Yeah. But I do have that still. It hasn't gone away. I don't have any sense that um, I was on SNL, I got an Emmy, I was on Rolling yeah. Stone, and right. it completely disappears. Yeah. I'm doing it as if I'm unknown. I kind of I wish I could get out of this a little bit because it it takes the fun out of all this stuff. I went on James Corden the other night, and I told him before the show, and then now I'm re-legislating my ad libs and going, oh, why didn't I do that? Oh yeah, yeah. So do you have any of that? No, I I used to have more. Like sometimes yeah. I don't watch what I do because like I just oh I never watch. Yeah, like I, I'll listen to this in in maybe a year. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Well, I I mean I I know that I it's it's usually for me 
Like I know exactly where I'm unsure of myself when I watch mm-hmm. myself, and I and I know where the you know I could have done something a little differently. But a lot of times when I used to do Conan, a lot of the bits that I would do on panel were not finished, and they became finished, and that then I just had to live with that. Like they were funny enough right. for for panel, but yeah. like as a stand up, a lot of them continue to evolve. But but mm-hmm. the thing I don't like seeing is I used to get. I used to think I was hiding my anxiety or my nervousness or defensiveness, but I would see it in my eyes. So for years, there was this thing like, am, am I going to have the look or am I not? Totally. <laughs> I, you're, I totally relate. And I, and I know the look and I know yeah. that was what was holding me back. And I knew there was nothing I could really do to make it go away. Maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. Right. And then there were times where like there were just these miracles where I do like on my first Letterman, like it was almost like I was channeling the history of comedy. I, I chose not to have a mic. I used my hands properly. I had a right. nice suit on. I was delivering jokes perfectly, uh-huh. but it was not me. So then it be, you know, it was me, but it was like not, you know, when you see me in a five minute set, you, you don't walk away from it going like I, I get that guy. You know, right. like it, I need more space and time. Yeah. But it took a while for me just to be like, well, fuck it. I, this is who I am, and when I do panel, I do, like with Conan, he's always sort of like, "Are you all right?" And I'm like, "I don't know, you know, I'm that guy," and that's okay. No, no, it's totally fine as long as it doesn't sabotage. I mean, as long as you can get some joy out of this this career we've chosen. Right. Well, now that's you know. starting to happen. You know, right, really, right in right on time for the president to outlaw media. <laughs> I think it, I think it's so fabulous, Mark. You know, we're terrific. Yeah, just this. I mean, after he won, he just went so comatose. Uh-huh. He was just almost on 60 Minutes. What are we going to do? I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to hurt these people. So. I mean, I, I just, when I do that, I just, I find it interesting. I'm not trying to be totally accurate. It's right. like a character. Right. And um, it's an interesting, weird voice. It's kind of strange that now I guess I will address it. Yeah. You're going to do it? Well, I'll, 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 you know, every week there's a little something that I look at, like when I saw him and Obama. Yeah. I just thought, you know, part of me was um, him saying, please don't let go. I mean, he was so vulnerable in that meeting. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. We'll stay right here. No worry. We can shake as long as you want. <laughs> please don't let go. I'm so scared. I don't know. So those are, I do, I do these little, I don't really think them through Vignettes. much. Yeah. Just boom. That, yeah. That's just funny. When you watch other impressionists, do you kind of go like, all right? I mean, like when you like. When oh you, my God! I see Kevin Pollak. Oh, he um, was there, wasn't he? When you were there in San Francisco? Of course, yeah. He was a, a mainstay. I yeah. mean, I was from San Carlos. He was from San Jose, twenty miles, and we were always the Peninsula Boys. But and, did, did you guys have conversations like, you know, are you doing Peter Falk tonight? Or <laughs> I think we kind of navigated naturally. Did, you know, you didn't do a Nicholson though, did you? I did, but not near as good as his. <laughs> You know, it was like the walking of the day. Yeah. You know, you, sure. like you had to do it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Now out of board. Did you pull your hair back? I didn't do that. Okay. No. <laughs> I didn't do the hair back. No, I never did that. My big one was Jimmy Stewart. I wonder what else. Well, I had Robin Leach. I'm yelling and I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, so but I never, you, yeah, uh, I never considered myself a pure impressionist. Right. You know, like Rich Little was. Right. Or is. Well, they, well, yeah. I but guess I do them when I need Pollock's them. a little more like that, I think. Like he was very deliberate about, you know, this is, you know, staying like, you know, this is the, the impression of this guy, you know, and this is the impression of this guy, right? Yeah. His Peter Falk was ridiculous. I mean, he would work on them to the point where they're ridiculous. Like yeah. his Walken is ridiculous. Yeah. It's like uh, Frank Caliendo's um, Morgan Freeman yeah. is now officially ridiculous. Yeah. And I don't know if I- In a I've, good way. 
ridiculous in a way like seriously no, yeah oh, really come yeah. on i don't know if i ever got anyone that accurate i mean my carson was kind of accurate a lot of them were abstract obviously george bush senior was a complete abstraction because there was nothing there that right. we thought to do right so we had to invent this character we meaning me and uh, jim downey and and senator al franken yeah so so but but you have to focus in on the the repeats the, yeah. the, the, the these weird character uh, moments yes that are repeatable and and like, there's something really amazing about that that you have these guys that you don't you look at them and you right like George Bush senior yeah where you're like this guy's got nothing he's flat oh, nothing but Just, there's a repetition of something there's a, a shrillness that you found yeah. That becomes the, the the funny thing. And the lazy syntax. I mean, the the key to that was just one night without trying to pull my hair out, trying to do it. It took yeah. a year. And just that thing out there as I'm waving <laughs> and that whole area. And then I remember Whitney coming in because then, you know, you're when you're on SNL, it's the bully pulpit. And then the New York Times was sort of observing the same things, but not giving me credit, according to Whitney. Yeah. They're doing you now. <laughs> <laughs> they ripped you off. <laughs> well, when, how did you get SNL? Oh, my God. What a story. Um, I auditioned in San Francisco. Yeah. Al Franken saw me, didn't get it. I auditioned at the Comedy Store. It was probably 84. Franken saw you? Yeah. But I was probably a little nervous. I had that look, and I wasn't, you know. He was funny, man. Yeah, he's a, and a great writer, really yeah. smart. Uh, he was great to do political comedy with. Yeah, and yeah. Jim Downey, yeah. who's more of kind of a conservative, but brilliant. The but he two was of like them the together. head writer forever, wasn't he? He was, yeah, yeah. but just fantastic. But um, So you didn't get it in San Fran. Who else was on the audition? Um, boy, Probably Slayton. Mm-hmm. Probably Pollock. Yeah. But when I, I did one night at the comedy store, I can't remember if it was 84, where it was five minutes each, like 20 of us. Yeah. And no MC on stage. Yeah, you just brought each other up or off stage. Off stage, Mike. And I. This sounds like a bit, but I followed Kennison. Yeah. In his prime. Um. So. What? What? What year? Oh God, was it eighty four? Four five? Yeah, yeah. Kennison exploding. That first record. And yeah. I followed him. Um. Well, isn't that you know just death? And then. The show comes around. The year Lovitz and Nora. Who were was in the room that night watching? Um, just lieutenants. Lauren wasn't there, right? But it must have been producers and stuff. Right. But that was it. Yeah, and I was just terribly so depressed. you're bummed out for months. Yeah, really. And um, so it came around again in '86. Yeah, and I thought. I bombed so many times auditioning at the Improv and so many times playing to dead silence at 8.30 on a Wednesday. Norman Lear thought it was good. You yeah. know, it's like, fuck. <laughs> you know, you come out of the box with what would levitate the room in Sacramento. Right. Your best joke with yeah. full commitment yeah. and swing and a miss. You yeah. know, oh, you just, just feel like a, oh, that feeling when it doesn't land. Oh, it's just the most awkward. Yeah. It's like someone just cuts something off of you. Yeah, so I didn't want to do that. So uh, there was a club called Igby's. Were you around for that? It was yeah. on the west side. Hundred real intimate yeah so i said okay let me do let me see if i can audition there and lauren michaels was in town i had gotten with brad gray and bernie brillstein there they left met. rollins and joffy and yeah so then i said uh, i don't do it at igby's but rosie o'donnell who i'd never met was headlining that week yeah 
And Jan Smith asked her, well, he's going to bring in Lauren Michaels. So Rosie said yes. So I met Rosie right yeah. before I went on. We flipped a coin. And I she went was on at, at the peak of her stand-up thing too, right? Yeah, and she was just, she seemed like Ethel Merman. She seemed like a tough, yeah. really funny, mature woman. I right. guess she was like 26, but <laughs> yeah. she never, you know, yeah. she was powerful personality. Yeah. And she, so I went on first, scared out of my mind. Um, really just, this is it. Lauren Michaels is coming to see me. Yeah. And he he walks and I see him. Yeah. Then I see the head of NBC, Brandon Tartikoff. Yeah. And then I see Cher. Yeah. And then, Cher. And, and now, ladies and gentlemen, Dana Garney. Mm. <laughs> but I got, I did a C minus, but I was in really good shape for performing and the audience did, was not an industry crowd. Yeah. So I think that really essentially got me the show. So So how soon after that are you going to New York? This is in in July, and he says, come out to Long Island. Um, I can do the voice if you want me to. Please. Um, Dana, you come out to Long Island. You, we hang out, you know, this and that. So I did At his house? Yeah. So I just move <laughs> in with Lauren Michaels. No. For like three weeks. Really? Yeah. I've never heard that one before. Yeah. I've never heard anyone have that experience, that they auditioned and you have to live with Lauren Michaels. I had no idea. So I'm up there with Lauren. Chevy rented a house in the neighborhood. Uh, Whitney was around a lot because he was sort of kind of the head writer at that time. And Lauren. And we just You lived at his house? Yeah. We just hung out. And that was when, you know, the whole, which I've talked about before, but McCartney came over with Linda five nights in a row and came. Because they lived down the street or? They were, they had a, renting a house in Long Island that summer and they would come over and put their kids to bed. Yeah. And we'd all smoke marijuana together. Yeah. And laugh. Yeah, and play, did you play guitars? No, No. but this one is kind of interesting. You might find this interesting. So when I met him, uh, it's not a joke, I had to answer the door. You know, Lord, you get the door. (laughs) And he did say, your face is going a bit funny. Because I just, I'd never even been on TV yeah. or like I'm not anybody. Yeah. But, but he was, um, I had the presence of mind to not ask him anything to do with the Beatles. I brought yeah. up an obscure song called Tug of War and I asked him about the chorus. Yeah. One day we'll stand up on top of the mountain with our flag unfurled. And he just lit up after that. Oh, really? And so. That was on a Wings album? That was, um, no, that was Paul McCartney, George Ram. Martin, 1980. Oh, okay. I, the thing that's in my so-called rotation is the, the, the original McCartney album with Maybe I'm Amazed on it, which he did with a four track in the basement. Is that it, Ram? No. No, it's, it's just called McCartney. Oh, okay. He's got the kid with the little baby on Oh, the yeah, front. yeah, sure, sure. He sure. did all the instruments. It's yeah. so rudimentary, that, but there's something really cool about I, it. I don't know if I even have that one. You should try. It's only like 28 minutes long. But No, he, I should get it. He I, has yeah. pieces of songs in a way. Yeah, yeah. But they're just- I felt that with Wildlife, too, a little bit. That, yeah. They're that, just great. So I'm anyway. trying to figure it out. Yeah. Without the other guy, the angry guy. How do I just be the nice guy? Well, <laughs> it's hard because, you know, what happened to John and it's- Horrible. It, it, yeah. and, and what they did together, I mean, I'm a fanatic about the Beatles. I don't know about you, but- Oh, yeah. How I'm, how can you not be? Yeah. I mean, when I last, when they last did the, the digital remastering, I listened all the way through again in my car and I did land on Revolver. I went, hmm, yeah, because that- when they were in close harmony see I knew that they loved each other yeah. because kind of the way Mike and I love each other yeah. we also fought like brothers because you're John Lennon you write Dear Prudence yeah. you got this troopy guy in there yeah. comes up with a bass line from the heavens yeah. 
and then is playing the drums and does this great break because Ringo yeah. was on strike. Yeah. You know, and then you think about the harmony that they would do together. I got married to um, Love is Real. Oh. When did you get married? 1983. Oh, so she was on for the whole ride. You freaking out for months after you blew your auditions? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that is one thing that is great, is that I could call my wife on the way home from here and go, uh -huh. I talked to the business manager. Mark and I had a talk. <laughs> Special's not that good. All the money is gone. Yeah. And she would... Okay. <laughs> Again? Again, all the money's gone. All the money's gone. But yeah, it's... Um, you know, that, that's something you get for being in someone who know who really sees you. I remember when I first started, people would make a fuss out of me on the street. Yeah. My wife goes, wow, so that's what famous people are, you know? <laughs> you know one. In other words, we're right, all right. pathetically normal. <laughs> and it's only this crazy yeah. technology that is exploding yeah. all of us yeah. into the, you know. So you live with Lauren for three weeks. Yes. And nervous, scared out of my mind. Is he just walking around in his bathrobe or... <laughs> He would. He was just um, very intimidating, but charming. You know, we would take long walks, five mile walks on the beach, just around Long Island, and sort of not really the beach as much. And, and what with, was he doing? What was he talking to you about? Lauren could just talk. I mean, Lauren is Lauren. Um, you know, I figured it out later. Just he has this way of taking gigantic ideas, like any really smart person yeah. and distilling them uh -huh. like i was last time i did snl um in may they asked me to stay i was doing i was shot the special yeah and lauren you know okay uh, what do you want me to do lauren you know <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm here so i did and then usually i would leave the party um at 3 30 or 4 and lauren was always there a.m um, a.m yeah. and that that night because of uh, the time of life I'm in and, and the people who've died, I just, and not to be morose, Lauren's fantastic, I'm fine. I said, I'm I'm gonna stay all night yeah. with Lauren Michaels. And he just had a brilliant, you know, which I was struggling about how to describe Paul McCartney. He goes, oh, he's Mozart. You know, it was just like very, very quick. <laughs> Some of Lauren's favorites are like, one thing he said to me was kind of brilliant because of, uh, we both have millennial sons and, we're always wondering, you know, he goes, there's no men anymore, you know, and, uh -huh. I, and I go, well, what do you mean? He goes, he goes, you and I were, were, we were raised in the wilderness and then we became civilized. We raised our children uh, civilized and now we want them to go in the wilderness. And it's like, man, that's brilliant yeah. as a way to yeah. analyze all this, yeah. you know, micromanaging. We gave them everything. Didn't ever want them to be sad. Yeah. Which, you know. I don't know. For better or for worse. Right. I don't know. Are we happy? <laughs> uh, I, I, if I can feel like not, if I feel okay and not insecure, if I'm not panicking, I'm, oh, I'm happy-ish. Well, or angry, but anger is like dissipated a little bit. Like I feel like I'm, I'm finally myself, which is relieving. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like as a public person and as a private person. Yeah. You're comfortable. Yeah, because with it's kind of the same. That was always my goal. Yeah. Is to get everything synced up. Well, see, I think that's great. And I think there's a lot of energy that um is dissipated when you're a stand up where sometimes I would want to say a really strong opinion or right. say exactly what I feel. Yeah. And and I can't. It seems like it would make stand up easier if you could just say anything you wanted. Yeah. There was no censorship 
Um, but for me, it's a good problem to have that, like when I shot the special, it felt like the audience, they were older and they'd all just watch my best of sketches from SNL. Right. And maybe just saw a Wings World matinee. Yeah. And then I'm going to come out and talk about racism. You know yeah, what I mean? It's right. not, it's just, so it's- Well, it's, it's good. It's a- it, It's a good problem to have. I don't, right. You know. it, it, it is interesting though, when you talk about branding and about audience expectation, that when you do tweak it a little bit, you know, you might get a little resistance. Like, no, no, no I kind of wish you would have well, just done this or just done that. Well, willing to disappoint them. I was going to call the special Springsteen in tights. Yeah. Because it'd be like if Springsteen came out and did a ballet dance. Yeah, so, right. What? I mean, yeah. the boss is the boss is the boss. Right. So you I have- You know him? I've met him, but yeah. I, I don't know him. Yeah. Um, you know, he's yeah. uh, he's uh, a freak. I mean, he's anybody could do a four-hour hell set of a performer physically. Yeah, yeah, he's just up there. He's like one of those. He's di- an earnest dude. There's, you know, I I don't stack him in any particular order. Yeah. But as far as like the guy who writes the songs and sings the songs, yeah. you know, there's Neil. Yeah. There's Dylan, yeah. There's Springsteen, and yeah. then there's a lot of others too. You right, know, Jackson Brown. I mean, from my era, sure. You know, but those guys, Paul McCartney. But yeah. yeah, they're they're freaks. Yeah, you know, good way in a good way. Right, just yeah, yeah, yeah just, they're they're anomalies because they they are singular, and they're mm-hmm. huge. Yes, and they deliver. If I could almost do anything, it would be able to sit down at a piano, play beautifully, yeah. and sing an original tune. Yeah, you can't? Well, I play around on a little piano. I, I fiddle with the guitar and yeah. the drums. Yeah. I That's for me for anxiety. I have them in my townhome that I have down here. Yeah. And I go to them all the time. Yeah. Several times a day. Yeah. But I'm so rudimentary. Yeah, I do that with guitar. So you say, so you, God, that's really a trick. I mean, that's that you feel authentic on stage and off. It's, yeah. it's very evolved. Well, yeah. that was, I didn't know that that was the journey, but that was the journey is that like, I think when I've talked about it before that I was on a sort of, my search was to 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 sort of be myself and kind of be in me, mm-hmm. you know, without doubting it or, or, or trying to, you know, hide it with anger and all this other stuff. So if I'm going to speak my mind, it's tricky because if I, you know, I have to make sure that I'm running it through my heart and not my, uh, you know, just my defensiveness. You know, it's it's it gets complicated. Yeah, it's just all these human emotions. It's kind of like if your foot hurts, it's telling you something. And we, we have this whole yeah. cadre of emotions. Yeah. Um, the, the thing I was going to come back to, which I think I can get in touch with, is yeah. just gratitude. Right. Oh, that's and. Good of the fact of this part of my life that I was able to make a living on this planet doing this because when I meet young comedians and performers, I run into them all the time. Sure. And they're still not sure this is how they're going to live. Yeah. They're going to make a living. There's no tell how how you can't bank on it. No. <laughs> so they would where you and I might look at people up on the food chain yeah. naturally cuz normal what's yeah. that guy, you know, yeah. Chris Rock got 40 million for a special. Yeah. Uh, suddenly right. my it doesn't look so good. <laughs> yeah. Uh but you just get you go back to the beginning and go, "Oh wow, don't forget that yeah. this didn't have to happen." I just want to now I just want to figure out how do we move forward you know, as a creative person in this uh, very quickly changing world that we have no idea what's going to happen. Right. So that's, you know, going to be the next thing. And do, what can, can I just not, can I just go away? Can I just disappear <laughs> now? How was it for you when you disappeared? We need you more. Um, 
You know, I always did a Heisman with fame in a way. I'm I, I, I would I, I'm in therapy to figure out why I would just walk away like that. But because of my childhood, I did want to be there for the kids. But here's what happened, which is an interesting part of my journey that I've never really talked about, which I just because it's never been time. But, yeah. Um, I um, the, the thing about what, what I like about people like you is it would appear as if you were never in a shitty movie or television show that was paying you a lot of money and you suffered through it. It yeah. feels like like you did your show. I was never given that opportunity. <laughs> to be tortured. <laughs> yeah. I, I got it. Yeah. You know, yeah. And so on SNL, you're kind of in charge of your stuff or you're working with like-minded people. Wayne's World was kind of the same. Then I come off, I do a movie called Clean Slate. Right. Uh, $3 million. I waited a year after Wayne's World, but, you know, being a, a chameleon or a variety performer, it's like, well, what are we going to do with him? Is he going to play the schlubby dad? He doesn't yeah. look too schlubby. Yeah. You know, so I understand why it was difficult to step away, right. but I peaked on the show. I just couldn't after Ross Perot and Bush and Wayne's World, yeah. and I was getting close to 40. So it was sort of exactly what you're talking about. I was able to be poisoned by this money, which wasn't for myself, but was was a sense of taking care of everybody. Yeah. So I did that one. That was a disaster. The clean slate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just I was horrible in it. I had no, I think I could be okay uh, in the digital age if someone, say you were going to direct me and I'm going to play this character, yeah. you've been, this person you've been talking to. Right. And I'm quasi improvising. But locking in line for line with 125 takes. Yeah. I couldn't, I was right. dead. So that was a disaster. So, and that really shook me up. Then I did Road to Wellville, which is a little side one. And then I did Trap in Paradise, another $3 million with Lovitz and- um, And these are not big budgeted movies. You're saying $3 million as a $3 million was budget. what I got. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> in 1992, three. Right. So it's like $6 million. Right. Well, I'll just have fun in the snow. And Nicolas Cage, who I love, yeah. brilliant. So the director, it, it was a disaster. Right. I didn't really know how movies were made. I was naive and I was just made these bad, bad choices. Right. So I think the missing piece of it was on the side. Hollywood was saying, just put him in a movie as a typical keep, stupid. Keep trying, yeah. Well, he does a church, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. You put him in a movie, the kids are going to come. Right. Know? So I was being corrupted by this money, which I don't really care about, but that's all in the story. So on the side, I was developing stuff. Like Odekirk and I wrote a Western, comedy Western called Tucson, which is really, really funny. So that was being developed. Bob or Steve? Bob. Okay. And... Um, Hans and Franz, the girly man dilemma. Yeah, I was writing with Conan, um, and and uh, Smigel and Neelan. Yeah, and that was when Conan was sort of I was being touted to take over the Letterman spot, which again was another thing, you know, that was coming at me. Right, like so much was coming at me. Right. I mean, I was too hot, and I had no confidence, experience. You right. Know? And on SNL, you can't make money on SNL. You have to leave SNL. Right. You know, Carell was probably making 400000 a week at the end of The Office. I'm just throwing right. Steve out for that. Yeah. But um, so that was going along with that. And then I just, after the Trap in Paradise and Clean Slate, I just sort of stopped. Then Arnold decided he didn't want to do Hans and Franz, The Girly Man Dilemma, of which we made him a third lead. Yeah. Which was okay. He was developing 10 movies. I didn't know how that worked. Right. Yeah, fellas, you know. So that collapses. <laughs> Tucson was made for me and Lovitz as a comedy western, and yeah. John decided not to do it because he was kind of hot at the time. Right. We wrote it so 
great for John. Yeah. So great. He, had, was, he had a very unique thing. That when guy. he had a very specific character. Yeah. Like I come in as the Irish guy who only heard about, I'm the new sheriff in the West. So I'm right. from Dublin. Right. And I'm lethal with these little guns and I'm yeah. very innocent. And John is the guy, he's like his character. So I come in, he's getting hung. Yeah. And there's a poster when he ran for mayor. If, if I don't clean up the town, you can hang me. Yeah. So, and then I show up. And so it's us on this journey there's a robbery and we yeah. go we go we meet lincoln on a train when he's like 28 and he's a prick and yeah. uh we actually stretch time so that einstein's parents are there and we change his diaper and it's uh-huh. all the you know and we go back to new york in like 1830 mm-hmm. and it's just rudimentary new york like there's one chinese guy with a you know and baseball hadn't been invented it was very an old kirk was brilliant yeah you know, he's funny yeah guys terrible so that fell apart and then Bad Boys that Will Smith did, I was developing that, or, you know, Simpson and Bruckheimer wanted John and I to be in that. But the script they were writing me, I sounded like Don Simpson, who was such a sweet guy. Yeah. And they, they said, Don goes, we're going to add two inches to the your- The producer? Yeah, the producer, yeah. Simpson Bruckheimer. Yeah. Don said, we're going to add two inches to your chest. So I was going to play the stud Will Smith part. <laughs> we're going to get me in a gym. You yeah, know? yeah. So I'd already gotten a half million dollars up front from Jeffrey Katzenberg yeah. to do the movie for another three million. And um, I gave the money back. So suddenly those three movies disappeared. The clean slate disappeared. And I just stopped at that point when did you do the dana carvey show that happened in 96 i did a stand-up special then i did that the show that smigel and louis 896 and that thing lasted like four episodes yeah so the movies bomb i turned down those other movies because they were pay or play i could have done tucson i could have done hans and franz and i could have done bad boys that was nine million right i was being offered uh potato chip commercials for 10 million i turned down all this stuff uh and then I did the show, sitting around, smile, let's do the variety show. So that was 96, and that lasted, <laughs> I think it aired seven times. Now Dino was there too, right? Yeah, Dino was still a very good friend. Yeah. Uh, brilliant. Yeah, great comedy guys, but it was just too crazy for people. There's something. a long story. It never should have been on ABC. It didn't belong right. on the Disney, and it was, no one really knew what we were going to do. And again, with me and who I am, that's what I, I love that show. Yeah. But my brand, they didn't know that Church Lady's kind of subversive. They right. thought I was sort of going to be cute and nice. And yeah. The show was really uh, clean. It was just very acidy and brilliant, yeah, except right. for the first sketch that Louis wrote, where Louis I'm Clinton had the, te- the teats. nipples, yeah. the teats, which wasn't Louis's fault. We, you know, <laughs> it was we all decided to put it out there, but we banked it a month before, and we we <laughs> lost perspective on what America would think. So it went from 16 million to two million. So basically. I get on SNL 86, I do very well on that, I got Wayne's World, and then that's by 93, I leave, by 95, I'm telling like, what the fuck do I do? I but do you're that. rich. Well, there's Net, and you buy a house, and remember Bud and Billy from the beginning of, the, of yeah, our journey? Sure, here? Yeah. sure. I was writing checks, I mean, there's a difference... If you, John Travolta came around once and, and told me I'll do the voice for fun. You know, you, you, the whole point is like to live off the live off the interest. So <laughs> I took that advice. That's just an exact yeah. approach. So I, I always thought that real wealth is having enough money in the bank that gives you enough, enough um, tax-free interest right. that you can live really comfortable and then do whatever you want. Right. You know? But unfortunately, interest rates have been at 1% the last eight years. Okay. So I'm still working. If they go to five, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. I'll buy you a house. <laughs> All right. So there you are, 96. Yeah. And you don't know what to do. 
Yeah, and then well, we did the show, and then that failed. And then, um, so then, you know, I thought, well, it's one thing to be an absentee parent and just have this flailing career. So yeah. I was at the same time sort of being offered corporate stand-up dates, which was not my dream as a little boy. But like for a quarter million bucks a pop or- 150 yeah. plus a jet. Yeah. I tried to get out of them by sometimes you're saying 150 and, and, a, and a Gulfstream. Right. And they kept saying yes. So I was making money after that as if I was a movie star. Right. Through stand-up. But you were out of the But I was guy. out of right. the guy. I would just occasionally drive down and do Leno and, you but know. But staying home with the family, being a dad. For, because I could I could do these 40, 50 corporate dates. I took all t- month at Christmas, yeah. summers. Yeah. I could just be a dad. And you yeah. got two kids. Two boys, yeah. So, um, and the same wife. Yeah. And, and during this downtime, are you hanging out with your friends like Mike and Sandler or, or well, they Well, they or... were all around doing yeah. their thing, but right, right in that time, just because it's one other piece that's very interesting is that I uh, I found out I had 100% blocked artery in 1997. <laughs> Only when I ran or exercised, I would feel like a roughness in my throat, like sort of a, as if you didn't warm up on a cold morning and yeah. just went sprinting. And so I eventually got it checked out, and then I, you know, I went down that journey. Um, and something got fucked up, right? They bypassed the wrong artery. I had first. I had all these stents put in. It was all just in one place. That's so scary, too, right? It's horrifying. You're, they're cutting you open like that, and they had to do it twice. Well, they only cut me open once with a saw. Yeah, I'll never forget it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was out, but I remember lying there. You know, they give you a few little drugs, but I there was a towel. And I was making jokes. You don't yeah. know how you deal. Yeah, like yeah. What, you know, I was yeah. doing Woody Allen literally at that moment. I'm yeah. not a joke. Yeah. yeah. What's under the towel? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, so, so that also happened. And, and then Sinatra died in my arms. And then Phil and Bren, that happened. So. What do you mean? Well, when I found out they bypassed the wrong artery, it was May, I think May 8th, 98. Yeah. And Sinatra came in that night. I was reading a magazine two in the morning and he came on to the- uh, the cardiovascular wing where I was, and uh, Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra died right down the hall from me that night. Yeah, yeah. Did yeah. you meet him? And- no, no. He was he was just coming in with you know he needed he he died. I mean he had he had a heart attack. I assume. Oh my god. Yeah, isn't that weird? And I was what about Phil? Well, then two weeks later, Phil and Bren had that whole thing happen, which you, I assume it was with Phil. Very. We lived around the corner. Our kids were just being raised together. Did you ever see that possibility? Of happening. Everything in retrospect, you know, I remember them showing me the guns and um, Bren was so loyal and so close to my wife and such a nice person. Um, you know, what What can you say? It's, yeah. it's, it's probably something to do with um, antidepressants and cocaine yeah. and a waking dream state. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's yeah. just- horrible. That's so, it was so fucking tragic. Yeah. And Phil, we were just really tight. We yeah. Jammed together. And one of the- uh, Sweet guy. Just, just, yeah, and so talented, effortlessly, and such a Renaissance man. You'd go down to his his motorboat, and he just was so meticulous. I never flew with him because I had a terrible fear of flying. But we'd go out to Van Nuys Airport, and we'd put the headset on, listen to the things, and we would jam. He'd play blues guitar, and after he died and brand that tragedy, his kids they moved to Minnesota, and they came and visited us. Um, in Mill Valley, and my son was a pretty good guitar player. I had little drums. Yeah. And then Sean, his son, um, got on a bass and had invented this little cool bass line. Yeah. And we're jamming, and that's the moment where it just waved over me. With and you know I'm I'm crying behind my eyes right now, which is I do often, but 
it's just like how Phil should be here because right. his son is so cool and Bergen is so beautiful and, and just they're great kids and so everybody's yeah. still friends yeah I mean they all keep in touch my wife's been in touch from sending Christmas gifts they and on his Facebook parents or something where are they they I think Sean now is up in the Bay Area oh he has a band and oh. he's he's really really talented and, oh good uh, it was right after it all happened um or a few years later, I was playing a New Year's Eve gig in Minnesota, and it was Dennis, Kevin, and Victoria Jackson. Wow! And we we're and so we wanted to go visit them, and Victoria vo- volunteered to go with me. And she was the person I know. She's she's how she's very right wing, but as this other person at that is the exact person you wanted because she wears everything on her sleeve before the change. Before that, yeah, which, yeah. you know, people were, that's a whole other story. I, we may not survive the web and social media. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. If something's going to get us, it's this insidious thing. Yeah. Is, is, it's a monster that's yeah. growing. But um, I'll never forget just going in Sean's bedroom and he was just very quiet and he brought out a book, a picture book of his mom and dad. And I just sat next to him and he just flipped through and they're beautiful black and white photos yeah. and just... Just flip through. Ugh. Yeah. Life is amazing, man. Fuck. So show so, business didn't seem quite as important. Yeah, so you took a, a long time. I kind of, I lived up in Mill Valley, up in When Marie did County. they fix your heart? Um, the last time, they go through your femoral artery yeah. and they do that. So the bypass got one artery. It was only two arteries on the right side. It was very limited, but the main artery, the left lower anterior yeah. descending, if that's gets closed, you're really. It was a miracle. I didn't have a heart attack, but I didn't, and that's why I can hike and do anything. Yeah. But they did a subsequent angioplasty when they've discovered it, because I kept having the burning symptoms. Yeah. But I was going between Marin County and Cedar Sinai. But I got with Cedar Sinai and PK Shaw yeah. and their team, and they found it. In fact, I saw the 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 uh, cardiovascular interventionist who did the final angioplasty. I saw him the other night. I played the Thousand Oaks Theater. Yeah. Neil Eigler. And that one is just held. It just never clogged again. Oh, wow. And they don't know why. Yeah. But my cholesterol, I had familial hypercholesteremia. My cholesterol was like 450, and now it's like, you know, 120 or whatever. So. What, uh, do you take pills? Oh, yeah. 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 I take blood thinners. I take uh, baby aspirin, ZDS, uh, Crestor. So after all <laughs> is said and done, you and your wife are still together. Yep. You're, you're, you're healthy-ish. Well, I'm completely healthy. People okay, always okay. say, how are you feeling? Yeah. And they go, you know, I'm like a 747. I, I fly when I'm perfect or not. You know, it's fun that, you know, we didn't really talk about SNL, which is fine because you talk about it a lot. Um, You've talked about it in your life. It was a good experience. But like what's more concerned to me is that, you know, that that the triple, the, the sort of career crash, heart issue, friends tragically dying you know, mm-hmm. just sort of locked you into like, you know, appreciating life and, and yes. you know, connecting with your kids who are now in show business. They're doing they're doing stand up and they're they're loving it. I wasn't my plan. We raised them up there. <laughs> I told my wife you, and I tell my kids, make your career inside out. Don't ask permission. Just like what you did here. Yeah. Make it inside out and you can do it. I don't care if you're on a network that hasn't been invented or even thought of. Yeah. You may not be famous, but I tell them if you do, if you work hard, you can make a hundred grand a year. Their eyes yeah. get real big. <laughs> Good, and um, and you and your wife after uh, after all these years are okay day to day. We um, we have um, 
we we were just instinctual back then, but our sensibilities, you know, and we're learning, we're still evolving, learning to argue and communicate with each other. Good. You know, you're um, in therapy now. I know it's such a cliche. No, but, it's great. Mm. I mean, the, I mean, it, it's a cliche or what? I mean, after years and years of, of discomfort and the fact that Conan's a guy that that told you maybe you deserve to be happy, like because that guy didn't have it easy either mentally. Well, Conan, yeah, I think you know. Uh, People, comedians in general are sensitive instruments. If they're good or whatever style they do, they're sensitive instruments. They have to process the world in this way, and there's a downside to that. But I didn't come out with a full deck. I mean, my childhood was too wicked for me to make choices around myself and celebrity, and um, I just got exhausted by it. And I know there's still more to go. I mean, I was. I mean, we're. You, you just keep going. I think. Why'd you come back this time? I mean, the special straight white male is a comedy special, but I mean, what are you expecting now? What do you want to do? What I would really like to do is a um, a single camera show on a live streaming network mm-hmm. um, where I play a very subtle character. It's with a narrative and in a filmic kind of thing. I played around with this. Oh, so you're working on it. Yeah, it's just you get really distracted by stand-up. Yeah. And stand-up takes so much energy. It's like show business reinvents itself every 18 months. Right. I can't even, people talking about networks. So I to me, it's the greatest time. I don't, I've saved a lot of money. I have plenty of fame. Whatever's going to happen when I go to Jesus has already been Garth, yeah. you know, Saturday yeah. Night Live, which is fine. Yeah. So that's why I want to do cool stuff. I love, um, I love the Quentin Tarantino model of creating violent tension before, after, and then Samuel L. Jackson or Christoph Waltz doing these ornate, great monologues. I mean, yeah. I aspire to that, but I know I would do it my own way, slightly yeah. funnier. Right. But I want a real narrative and a real story, even um, wackiness and s- the sensibility of things that are on their sleeve funny, that yeah. are forced, right. don't um, appeal to me. That's uh, And I'll do it my own way. I mean, so this is the show you're thinking about. This is the the template for what I will do. Um, I don't know where it will be. I I'm circling the wagons around CISO. I don't know. Okay. Or the next CISO. I okay. just want to have it be creatively free, and um, you know, you just find out. And I'm sure you're the same way. It's like, well, when you were 33, okay, yeah. what will I be like at 53? Will I give a shit about this? And you're kind of like. I guess I didn't do it for the money or the fame, so I'm kind of exactly the same. I'm possessed by it. That's I, I. That's the same with me, but like my possession by it is is lessening. Like I, I, I don't know if it's sort of day to day, but mm-hmm. like seeing that, like what I really wanted to do was not be terrified financially. Right. That's good. And to be able to take care of myself in that way mm-hmm. and also to feel comfortable in myself. Yeah. So I've achieved that. So there's a big part of me that's sort of like, can I, I'm, I'm done, right? <laughs> well, like I, I feel like I, I fight that. I know that the, my most popular moves that I've had, like Dennis Miller always said, everyone's got uh, one chimp trick. If you get two chimp tricks, you're a superstar. He sees it as a chimp trick. <laughs> so I feel like I have a couple more moves that I was never allowed to show because on SNL, it was a take no prisoners, repeat characters, yeah. big and loud. Um, there were a few little moments in the first Wayne's World that I liked that were played very small. I yeah. ruined Wayne's World too because I was over the top and, was, and the makeup was terrible. Okay. I don't mean literally. My therapist always says that too. But I feel like I have some Your therapist moves. tells you you ruined Wayne's World Well, then I just too, I, I, I flog myself too easily. 
But but I don't in the movie. No, I mean in no, life. In general, like oh, I right. ruined the movie. Oh, yeah, I don't I really it. mean it that way. Right, but, no, I, I know. Um, um very self-critical, right, but. Right. But, but yeah, you got another chimp trick, is what we're saying. I feel, and I've done some short films with it. I but I don't say it would be the most popular trick. That's all right. I, I think what people like me to do is what I do. When I do Donald Trump, they 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 levitate. Are you still friendly with Dennis? <gasps> yes, the people who you go through that SNL experience with, you just you but stay like, connected to. Who do you to. talk to regularly? Um, Kevin Nealon. He's funny. I've I have to, I haven't yet to have him in here. Yet. He's great. Um, Kevin. Um, John Lovitz, we're going to play Vegas. We're doing 10 weekends in Vegas. The three of you? No, just me and Lovitz. Okay. I know. He's the funniest. We're, yeah. it's gonna, we're doing a little stand-up, and then we'll do a little... He'll Stick, have the piano yeah. and stuff. Um, Mike? Mike, yeah. Not as much. He's you know He's got three kids. He's sort of... He's in New York, but... Lauren? Yeah. Lauren, lately I've emailed him and stuff and said, nice show and this and that, and I've seen him when I've gone out there. I've seen him twice in the last uh -huh. few months. And some of the younger ones, uh, I come into their sphere here and there. Like Bill Hader and John Mulaney yeah. uh, are very cool to be around. Uh, Bill Hader's like, you know. He's a very nice he, guy. Both of those guys are nice guys. And they're yeah, and guys. Fred Armisen. I'm, yeah. just, I'm friendly with these yeah, guys yeah. Well, when nice. I see them. Well, I have to tell you, you seem like you're in a good place, and I'm happy about that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, this was really cool. I had no idea what to expect. I kind of thought there might be two other people in the house somehow. <laughs> You know, most people you do anything, even if it's in a garage, there's going to be a handler. I mean, no. was it? It wasn't just you and Obama. Yeah, obviously well, they were out there. There, there was only one Secret Service guy back here behind me, and but the I rest guess, of them were out there, and they let him talk freely. Right. So, like, this is this this is podcast is huge, right? You yeah. Would, you wouldn't know it from the surroundings. I mean, it's very. I guess humble. that's the gift of it. I guess that's why it is what it is. Any, I, if I, you went to a bigger room or dressed it up, it would Or it was destroy. a studio. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't. I just have to keep things dusted. Yeah. Yeah. But um, this would be like what I have. I'm very messy. Uh, yeah. Pads of yellow paint. Oh, yeah. I, a lot of that. Yellow. And then you start looking at these piles and I'm like, I'm not going to do anything with any of this. Why don't I just move it? And then I don't know. Maybe I'll give it to people that come over. Like, yeah, take. you can have that. Um, I totally relate to it. I mean, like those papers, I've got thousands of those. Well, I those do, are I, specific. That those are. Um, well, I mean, those. That's. I just like looking at those because that's like. There's not questions. There's just these. Like, I just box things. Yeah, I put words up, and then like during the interview, I'll look down and I'll go like, oh, and the word will trigger like what I was interested in, and I'll know whether or not I got it or not. Like, I usually just look at them. Like, I'll scribble all this stuff down when I put together what I want to talk about. Like some people where I don't like that I'm intimidated by or I know mm -hmm. it's, you know, I've got to be on point in my own yeah. fucking. I would be nervous. What? Yeah. To, yeah. Those guys. Right. Because yeah. Lauren and I like that was like a big well, I deal remember for that. me. I know I heard all about that and that. Are you over that now? Yeah. Kind of. No, I am. Totally. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. No, I like you know he like I, he charmed me, man. Oh yeah, yeah. He, he's uh, it's not personal, and, and also yeah. he's just a guy who works at a building. Ultimately, he is. I know, but like really, like he's there, like yeah. he's like you know he likes to work, and like yeah. the last time I did uh, Fallon, he came down, said hi, then went back to work, and he still really really cares about that show. Yeah, it's amazing. no, he, like he just he, you know whatever happened in that meeting I had with him. You know, he was willing to address it point for point. And, you know, sure, sure, he, you know, he's only going to tell me what he wants to tell me. But for me to have that and for me to 
for him to ask me back and to finish it because I we got cut short. You right. Know, it, it, whether it matters to him or not, it mattered a lot to me, and and I and I have a new respect for the guy. You know, any kind of you know, as you get older, any kind of falling out with people, or maybe you made him mad. I mean, it's just at some point when you put your weapons down yeah. and you go, look. I mean, this life's hard. We're all suffering here, man. I mean, yeah. it, it, and and then they go, okay. Usually, things can be worked out. Grudges shouldn't last. That's true. You're right. If you go, and even if so, you go, I fucked up, or yeah. you know, right. I should have called you right ahead of time, but I retreated, and then things got stirred up. So anyway, no, no, I know. I mean, I got one of those like, um, you know, uh, yeah. There's there's one or two. Oh, I, I have a couple. Well, no, I only have one right now, which yeah, I don't want to one. say, but yeah. I feel um, terrible about it Yeah. when I think about it. What are you going to do about it? Um, I should reach out. I should reach out. So it's on you. Um, the, that person might have reached out to me, but it was in a subtle way. Uh-huh. And I, you know, your email feed, yeah, yeah. and then it goes to the second page. You're like, yeah. did I? Right. Was I invited to something? Right. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Life's weird. I, I just, the more I think about it, it just, you know, um, I think if being your authentic self is a good goal, of reaching that, and yeah. it's also just letting go. Letting go. Of all of it and allowing yourself just to be, be. experiential. I tell young people, I go, it's experiential. Get the, rid of the fear. You're just going to experience stuff yeah. on the planet, whether you're Neil Armstrong or whoever. Yeah. Right. You're just experiencing stuff and yeah. then you. Yeah. Don't Oof. be uh, don't be too hard on yourself. Um, well, I'll try. Let's see. For this one, will I, will I will I be later on driving around L.A. going, oh, I should have been more forthcoming, or maybe I. No, may, I don't think I will. I may not because I wasn't. Um, this isn't a performance. No, we were good. It's seemed, this was great. It seemed really nice on my side. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. It was great. <laughs> to t- I had no idea what to expect. I didn't know where you were at in your life, and you, you know, I the the only. Uh, impression I had was that you know you were you know when I met you was that like uh, he's got that sort of simmering niceness thing, and and that you oh, were yeah. pretty diplomatic, right? But uh, oh, but, I'm I'm sick uh, competitively. I mean, Dennis and I will talk about. It. I mean, Dennis can say to me he had Schadenfreude when I was Wayne's World, yeah, and I go, of course you would. I would have too. Yeah, we I just those are like sort of a Zen thing of these emotions are like little friends. Yeah. Like if I'm on a showcase show at the comedy store, I have it in my head. Well, I have to, I have to dominate. Yeah, I don't, I it's don't really, have that. It's ridiculous. Yeah, oh, yeah. I still have the. I, I, I never I, had that. I always assumed I would fail. <laughs> I How was your set that night? Fine. It was fine. It was fine. Okay. Good. It was not great. It was fine. But I, I, I but I went out there with a little of that, you know, and I lived in that. Right. I, I don't like it anymore. I don't like when I'm there in it. But sometimes it happens. Just sort of like, all right, so you like that guy? Fuck you, but okay. It, yeah. It's old. Yeah. But I got one Dennis Miller story for you I think you like. I've told it before to because I don't know him at all. I've never yeah. fucking met the guy. Oh. But years ago, his brother Jimmy yeah. was uh, scouting around, you mm-hmm. know, uh, w- way back. It must have been in the late 80s. I was a Catch Rising star in Boston. He was in Boston doing something, yeah. looking at people. I don't know what. He was still, he wasn't the, the, the sort of mythic manager that he is now. Right, I know. But he and I and uh, Janine Garofalo went out after mm-hmm. Catch Rising Star in Boston to go to a club or something. And I was bitter and angry and you know struggling. <laughs> but I'd met Jimmy because he booked the comedy club in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I grew up. 
He booked where it. Where my he brother was... lives. I must have played that place. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Brad lives there. Well, he, well, Jimmy was one of the first guys ever see me do stand-up. Like, he, like, wow. way back. But anyway, so I knew him kind of. So we're in the car in Boston, me, him, and Garofalo, and I'm spinning out. And I'm like, I just don't know how you, you know, what do you, how do you get your voice? You know, what do you do? I mean, your fucking brother figured it out. And Jimmy Miller just goes, he's doing Belzer. <laughs> yeah, and he would admit that was a huge influence. Yeah, yeah. You always get it from somewhere. The trigger, you know, the 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 that thing, you know, the the drive shaft, the thing that hooks you. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, did Churchley come from off Rickard or something? I don't know. I don't know. It's a tone. It's a you know, you you you're going to lean on things that you know work because you respect or or a fan of somebody's, and then it kind of fades. Well, I I mean, in the early days, I was just trying to be Robin Williams. Sure. And I realized I couldn't, but I was, um, I had the trunk and the props and I was doing the voices. Right. And, and then years later, the year before he died, he stopped me outside the Throckmorton and yeah. misty sky. Yeah. I was leaving. No one's around dead yeah. streets. And, uh, and with that incredible voice he yeah. had, didn't I like to talk to you? And he wanted to make amends to me for taking stuff. And honest to God, I don't mind talking about this because I don't remember him taking anything from right. me. But he said he did, and I said to him at that moment, but I don't know if it's an AA thing of making amends yeah. or something. I said, but Robin, I tried to take your whole persona. I tried to be you, you know? Yeah. And so we had lunch the next day. Oh, but it was sweet. sort of interesting, but yeah. I said, he's, he kept, he said this at Dennis Miller's wedding, like 25 years before. People say, you know, he referred to his dick as Mr. Happy. Yeah. He mentioned it again. Uh, some people say, Mr. Happy was yours. And I go, no, 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 it wasn't. It never was. <laughs> You know, um, well, that's nice that you had the lunch. Well, I, I, I was sincere. I go, look, I, and I said to him, I said, look, don't be so hard on yourself because you invented a construct. You invented an idea that a lot of other great comics, we have to mention this free form kind of thing. Your yeah. Shakespearean actor did. So that's what he did invent. Yeah. Inside the jokes and the comedy, people would have their own opinions about. Right. But as an idea, yeah. Of a guy on stage, oh, he's an acid, this is a frisbee, or look, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. just that. And also this baritone British accent he yeah. had, so it was a brilliant, Yeah, you know, he was also, Robin. He's just one of a kind, and That's also it. nobody's done, nobody was that, had that film yeah. career and, yeah. and the stand-up. Immensely so. uh, talented, uh, sweet guy. Yeah. Well, yeah. good talking to you, man. I know, what it. What did we say? Do you have a, a little theme song? Or it was uh, yeah. no. It was it was uh, <laughs> uh, nice to talk to you. Nice finally. to talk to you. That was very interesting. Um, we yeah. can sing like one bar of a song. Let me think of um, what's your favorite Beatles song? Uh, oh, that's a terrible question. What's a Beatles song you that like? we can go out on? Yeah. Um, let me just um, think. Like, how about um, no reply? I've just seen a face. I can't forget the time or place we just met. met. It's just a girl for me, and I want all the world to see we've met. La da 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 da. Falling, yes I am falling, <laughs> and she keeps calling me back again. Thanks, Dana. So we can sing in the same. Yes. Thoughtful guy, deep guy. I, I feel like I got to know him a bit. Do you guys feel that? Oh, I think I can play some guitar. I didn't prepare or anything, but I did plug it into a different amp. Hold on a minute.
close. Boomer lives.